Hello, welcome to episode 21 of our life group study on the book of Romans. We are in Romans 12 verses 6, 7 and 8. Before we get started, I'd like you just to pause the video and to read Romans 12 verses 1 to 8 and then please discuss the questions that I've posed. You'll find them on your screen. Welcome back. I hope you had a good time of discussion with one another. Let's just very briefly recap what we've been saying in the last few episodes. We've learned that Paul wants us to do two things. First of all, to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice by serving our fellow Christians. And then secondly, to serve according to God's pattern rather than the world's pattern. Remember that the world's pattern is in opposition to God's way of doing things because it has been devised by people and spiritual beings that are in opposition to God. So that's what Paul wants us to learn. And then he wants us to serve according to God's pattern. And the way we do that is, first of all, we must serve with humility. And secondly, we must serve using God's model. And God's model involves us serving in such a way that we're like a human body. There are different members in the body. Although it is one body united, there are different members. So there is diversity in unity. There isn't necessarily unity by uniformity. We don't want to all be the same. We've all been given different gifts with which to serve the body. We've been given different measures of those gifts with which to serve the body. And God decides who gets what and to what measure. Then Paul gives a representative sample of the spiritual gifts. And we were able to look at the gift of prophecy in more detail last week. And here's what we learned very briefly about prophecy. Prophecy is speech inspired by God. It's that simple. Prophecy today does not carry the same weight as scripture. It is not the inspired, inerrant word of God. It doesn't have the same authority, but it is inspired by God. And the purpose of prophecy is to build up the body in a particular place at a particular time. So it's encouraging, it's instructional, sometimes it's challenging, it's exhortational. Prophets too do two different things. They foretell the future, but this is a very narrow part of prophecy. They can tell what's coming along and usually that is associated with some sort of a warning to come back to God. And then they can also foretell God's will and God's truth. Then the last thing that we learned is that prophecy should be in proportion to either your faith, in other words, it's subjective, so it's, it should be in proportion to the extent to which you are feeling faith to give this prophecy, uh, the, the sense that what you say is God's inspired word, or it could be in proportion to the faith. There were two different options. And I personally go with the first one, but the second one is not wrong because if we prophesy in proportion to the faith, it means that our prophecy is not going to contradict scripture. And of course, we know that that must always be the case. Let's move on to what we're going to have a look at in this episode um, and see some of the other gifts that Paul uh, has in the list. So the first one is serving. He says in verse 7a, if it is service, 
he must serve. What is service? Well, serving can be defined as doing tasks to meet needs. Doing tasks to meet needs. The sliding door at the church is stuck. Someone needs to repair it. That's service. The chairs need to be put out. That's service. It's that simple. Why does Paul say, if it is service, he must serve? Well, commentators think that this is Paul's way of simply saying, just get to it. If you see a need, meet a need. Get on with it. Meet the need. Some comments. Number one, don't make the same mistakes as the disciples who undervalued service on one occasion. We read about this in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. I'll, I'll read it to you. Then they came to Capernaum, and after Jesus was inside the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they were silent, for they were embarrassed, I would imagine, for on the way they had argued with one another about who is the greatest. After he sat down, he called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. We are part of an upside-down kingdom. The world says that if you want to be first, get lots of people to serve you. God's kingdom says if you want to be first, serve lots of people. And then he took a little child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name, welcomes me and welcomes me does not welcome me but the one who sent me in other words god the father children need a lot of looking after and so that's why he used them as an example so that's the first thing don't make the same mistake as the disciples secondly don't neglect service as a spiritual discipline and community responsibility what am i saying here well what i'm saying is that there are certain things that just need to be done. You don't have to have a special gift of service to get those things done. You know, in a family, people don't say, oh, well, I'm not going to do the dishes because I don't have the gift of doing the dishes. There's certain community responsibility, certain things that we all just participate in. For example, on a Sunday service, we just get on with it. It's not necessarily a gift. And the fact that it's not a gift doesn't mean that we aren't qualified to do it. So the third thing is that serving will require strength from God. So 1 Peter 4 verse 10, he says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. Whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. And here's the bit I want you to see. Whoever serves, do so with the strength that God supplies, so that in everything God will be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belongs the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So when people look at someone exercising the gift of service, they see God. Probably because the person is able to serve with an intensity and an energy level that is more than you would expect from a human being. Because it's supernatural rather than natural. Do it with the strength that God supplies. So that's the gift of service. Let's move on now to the gift of teaching. In 7b, he says, if it is teaching, he must teach. Same as with serving. If your gift is teaching, then just get on with it. What is teaching? Teaching is explaining the truth. 
A teacher can understand biblical doctrine and explain it not only to himself, but effectively to other people. So if you understand the truth and you explain it to people and they just don't seem to get it, you might not have the gift of teaching because you need to be able to explain it effectively to other people. The next thing we learn about teaching is that it is focused on the biblical text because we're teaching truth. And the primary way in which God reveals truth to us is through the Bible. Third thing is that teaching is not limited to the pulpit. Have a look at these examples. This is Colossians 3.16. Paul instructs, this is a general instruction to the people in the church in Colossae. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What would that look like? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Maybe Trevor or I say something from the pulpit that you just don't quite get. So afterwards over coffee, you're chatting to someone and that person explains to you what it means. Brings more clarity. It's for everybody. It's not limited to the pulpit. And then Acts 18, 24 to 26. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Remember, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' baptism was baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so Apollos came and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside. They did it gently. They didn't do it publicly. And they explained to him the way of God more accurately. Teaching like prophecy and other speaking gifts, uses words that are inspired by God. So it's not just confined to the pulpit, but they are also words that are inspired by God. Just have a look at this. This is from 1 Peter. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of the varied grace of God. And then he narrows down to the speaking gifts, things like exhortation, prophecy, and teaching. And he says, whoever speaks, let it be with God's words. In other words, God needs to be inspiring you. He needs to be behind what you're saying, helping you to say it in the way that he wants you to say it, helping you to say the things that he wants you to say. The translation of the Greek is literally, if anyone speaks, dash, as God's words, as if he was speaking the words of God. Third gift that we're looking at today is exhortation. If it is exhortation, he must exhort. What is exhortation? Well, exhortation is inviting another person to action or encouraging ongoing action. It's like encouragement. I'm encouraging to you to do something that you haven't done before. Or if you're flagging on what you're doing and I'm encouraging you to keep at it, to keep going on. So teaching is informational, but exhortational, (laughs) exhortation, I beg your pardon, is inspirational. Teaching, informational, exhortation, 
inspirational. Here's an example, Hebrews 3, verse 12. Uh, the writer to Hebrews says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has an evil, unbelieving heart that forsakes the living God. But instead, exhort one another each day. This is the antidote to tending towards having an unbelieving heart and wanting to give up on God. The antidote is that we must exhort one another each day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may become hardened by sin's deception. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us take thought of how to spur one another on to love and good works, not abandoning our own meetings. That's often where it happens in, in the meetings when we spend time together. Not abandoning our own meetings, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And even more so because you see the day drawing near, the day of Christ, the day when Christ is due to return for the second time. So once again, folks, you can see from these instructions that this is not just for the pulpit. Next thing we learn is that we need this gift as a part of teaching and preaching. Often when a person is teaching or preaching, they will come to a point where they start exhorting people, encouraging people to take action, inviting them to make a difference in their lives. One of the pitfalls of this gift, and I think it's really important to mention it, is that if, if you have it weighing on your heart, as will often be the case if you have the gift of exhortation, that somebody should do something or that they should be encouraged, bring the word, but then don't try and control that person. If that person doesn't receive it or they don't appear to be acting the way you wanted them to act, just leave it at that. Because if you start moving into this area of control, emotional blackmail and manipulation, etc., etc., not a good thing. Before we move on, we're going to have a short uh, discussion break, but, but let's just notice that three of the gifts that we have covered so far have all got this get to it emphasis. If it's teaching, then teach, get to it. If it's serving, then serve, get to it. If it's exhorting, then exhort, get to it. Why is that? Well, I think it's because in the case of service, it's very easily overlooked because it just seems so commonplace, so normal, normal, I beg your pardon, to serve people and to serve others. And so we overlook it. We think it's not a gift, but actually it is. Just if you see a need, meet a need. Teaching and preaching, they're slightly different. Um, and I think we need this encouragement because they're perceived as being too high and mighty. So people often overlook the fact that they have a measure of the gift that can be used perhaps outside of the pulpit. I have seen in my own life group that sometimes one member of the group is busy explaining to another member of the group what something means in the Bible. They're exercising the gift of teaching. Don't overlook it. If you really understand something and you sense that you can explain it to someone else, get to it. Do it. Right, the discussion break. Two questions. Um, I'll read them out and then you can pause them on your screen and answer them. So far, we've looked at the gifts of serving, teaching and exhortation. So what I'd like you to do is to take each gift in turn and think of a danger that is unique to that gift. For example, 
uh, with teaching, there is a danger of pride because the Bible says that knowledge can puff up if we're not careful. So that's a particular pitfall that comes to teaching. What are some of the other pitfalls for these different gifts? Good, I hope you've identified some pitfalls. This will just help us not to get into trouble as we exercise the gifts. Now we're going to move on to the gift of giving. In verse 8b, he says, the one who contributes must do it in generosity. Folks, this is not about tithing. A literal translation of the Hebrew word tithe is 10%. Tithe means literally 10%. And it was required by the law. But this, on the other hand, is about giving generously. So this is not about a tithe. This is not asking how much should I give, but rather how much can I give? How much should you give? 10%. How much can I give? That's a different matter. Now, I don't want to go into a lot of detail now, but I would just like to extract a few points from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And I would go there and read that at some stage. That's, those two chapters um, are, are just such excellent teaching on giving. In these chapters, Paul is asking the church in Corinth to take up a special offering to help poor people in Judea. The Christians in Jerusalem always struggled financially, whereas in other parts of the Roman Empire, maybe cities that were centered around trade, there was a lot more money around. And so this wasn't about tithing. This was about the people in Corinth coming up with a a gift over and above their tithe to help the poor people in Jerusalem. So here's the first point. Paul, as the asker for the gift, is not commanding or compelling the Corinthians to give. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, he says, But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in your love for you, See that in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command. And then in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, still talking to the same people about the same project. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Hear this, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not under compulsion. I'm not compelling you to give. I'm not commanding you to give. The second thing that we want to underline from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is that the giver must give cheerfully and not reluctantly. And we saw that in in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. He says, don't do it reluctantly or under compulsion. You must give it because you want to give it. Don't give it because you feel like you're being commanded to give it. And, And people who have the gift of giving I think as time goes on, people may approach them and ask them for help. Or the church might approach them and ask them for help. And just remember that when that request is brought, you don't have to feel compelled. You're not being commanded. If in your heart you think, yeah, I would really like to meet this need and I could do it cheerfully, then give, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. And then the third point. And I'm just going to repeat what I've heard other Bible teachers say, 
namely that the ability to make money probably goes with this gift that Paul has in mind. And it kind of makes sense. You know, if you make lots of money, then you're able to give. Interestingly, it doesn't necessarily go together because sometimes rich people are not particularly generous people. But when they have been transformed and changed by the gospel, they have an excess of money. They set a limit on what they're going to use for themselves and then they give. Let's have a look at 2 Corinthians 8, 12 to 15. He says, For if the readiness, in other words, the readiness to give, is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. So, yeah, I mean, if a person's got a lot of money at this particular time, then this applies to them. But then he says, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, um, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. It just so happens, and I've seen it time and time again, that during certain seasons of life, one harvests, in inverted commas, a lot. One has an excess. God hasn't given you that excess necessarily for yourself. He's given that excess. It's now in your hands for someone who hasn't harvested at much. And then later on at some other time, you may harvest little. They might be harvesting much and it'll work in the other direction. That's what he's trying to get at here. This idea of equality. So that's the gift of giving. What about the gift of leadership? If it is leadership he must do so with diligence. The Greek word translated diligence is spude. You may be interested to know that. Spude. Sounds good. Um, theological dictionary of the New Testament says that in this verse, spude means zeal or commitment. So if you have the gift of leadership, lead with zeal with energy, with excitement, and with commitment. Another Bible teacher, Mike Winger, defines it as an intentional pressing on. It says it speaks of a person that is committed, passionate, and constant. Star, not a firework. So, in our modern context, everyone is passionate about vision. They're always talking about the fact that you need to have vision if you're a leader. Well, you know, in the Christian church, that vision has already been defined for us. I mean, it's fulfilling the Great Commission in all sorts of different ways. So we don't have to spend that much time thinking about vision. What we need is someone who's going to lead with zeal and commitment. So that's the gift of leadership. And then lastly, the sixth gift that we're going to be looking at today is mercy. He says in, in verse 8, a D, if it is showing mercy, he must do so with cheerfulness. What is mercy? Well, serving, the gift of serving, is doing tasks to meet needs in general. But mercy is more focused in the sense that it is doing tasks that meet the need of a suffering person. Mercy is compassion. 
Compassion, I've heard it defined as sympathy with its shoes on. So it's sympathy that we feel for someone else, but we do something about it. Sympathy with shoes on, that's compassion. And what we feel in our heart, that sympathy um, leads to service. But why is there a requirement to show mercy with cheerfulness? <laughs> well, I think the first thing is that generally people who are hurting hurt people. So hurting people hurt people. You see it so often. Someone is in pain, they're suffering, they're battling, they get short with other people. They can be grumpy. That's why the person who's serving them needs to have a measure of cheerfulness and it'll, you know, it'll only come from God. It's a gift. Next thing that we learn is that showing mercy with cheerfulness speaks of serving with the right attitude. This is an attitude of open-hearted willingness rather than resentment. I'm not doing this because I feel I should do this or because I'm compelled to do this. And if we serve, especially in the area of mercy, for any length of time in that space, we're going to end up feeling resentful. And so that's why we need to ask ourselves, why am I doing this? And if I'm doing this because I feel compelled rather than I, because I feel that God is leading me to do this, then I need to do something about that. And the indication will be that I'm not doing it cheerfully. The other thing about serving in the area of mercy is that it can lead to dependence. Um, in, uh, codependence, I think, is, is probably the right word. Where, where the other person is, is starting to develop an unhealthy dependence on us. And usually we can tell when that's starting to happen because we start to resent it, we start to notice it, we start to lack cheerfulness. That's why he says cheerfulness is a good dashboard indicator of whether you're serving from the right motives or whether things have got a little bit unhealthy in your service of another person who requires mercy. And then the last thing is that sometimes suffering is a consequence of foolishness or sinfulness. And so it's very tempting to help the person with a bad attitude in order to, I don't know, rub their nose in it, maybe punish them a little bit. No, we mustn't do that. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody is foolish. From time to time we do things that we regret. We end up experiencing the consequences of that. We want someone who, who is helping us, who isn't going to rub our nose in it, who isn't going to be saying through the way that they serve us, I told you so. No, they're going to be doing it cheerfully. So let's close now uh, with some final questions and discussion. So I'm going to put those up on the screen. Just have a look at those and answer the questions. And I hope you've found this time helpful and informative. Folks, we want to be the kind of church that serves according to God's pattern. We don't want to be conformed to the ways of the world. We want to be conformed to God's way of doing things. God's way says, yes, we're lots of different members, but we're one family. We get diff given different gifts. Let's start working out what gifts God has given us and be open to him giving those gifts. If he gives us the gift of serving, it may not mean that we have that gift of serving for our entire life. It may mean, mean that we have it for a short time to meet a particular 
need. Let's be open to that. Let's dive in and start offering our lives as a living sacrifice to God by serving the people around us with the gifts that God gives us in a particular time, in a particular place to meet a particular need. Thanks so much for being with us. And uh, next episode, Trevor is going to be taking on into the subject of love. Bye for now.